Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What took me 20 years to build up and then lose, I needed to be able to make back a lot quicker, but without the money, without having to have loans to do it and without having the luxury of another 20 years to do it. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with former lawyer turned property investor and developer Dominic Rubisel. She'll share how she accidentally got started in property investing, the low point in her life when she lost everything and how she turned it around to become one of the most successful property investors in Australia. With the number of qualifications up her sleeve, Grubisir explains what she practices in her position in the property world. I am a practicing lawyer as well as a asset credit license holder and I've got a migration agent's license but at the coalface, I'm a property investor and developer. Grubisir continues that for the most part, her day consists of assisting others on their property journey or running her company, the DG Institute. Most of the things that I do relate to educating and empowering others around property. I formed the DG Institute, which is a a vision that I had to be a one-stop shop for property people so that they could get all the professional services that they needed as well as the knowledge and education to do things better and keep raising the bar. So that involves me flying around the country, educating at live events and as well as um, online and running a team of professionals to meet everybody's property needs. Despite having only founded her institute, Grubisser explains that she had already been educating people about property for numerous years. The DG Institute was only founded two years ago, but I have personally been educating and in the property space since 2009. It's just that I finally got all my ducks in a row um, with the vision that I wanted to go it alone and that happened two years ago. Before, I was just more a one-man band, just um, teaching my methods, but I did that through other platforms, so promoters and other marketing channels and multi-speaker events and that sort of thing, but it didn't give me much scope to do what I wanted to do. I was just almost a gun for hire had turned up and delivered, um, whereas I've been able to now grow into a bigger vision. Growing up in the North Shore of Sydney, Grubisser completed her secondary and tertiary education there. 
I grew up in uh, Sydney, so the North Shore of Sydney, and um, went to a good Catholic girls' school, Monte St. Angelo at North Sydney, and um, have always just stayed very close to home. So went to uni, um, Sydney Uni in Sydney, studied law, went back, did a Master's of Law. I became a solicitor in 1994, and 1996 I went to the bar, not to get drunk, to be a barrister, and so I've always lived and worked in Sydney. Despite this achievement, however, she explains that her choice to study law was actually secondary to her original career dreams. I actually didn't ever have any passion to be a lawyer. I naturally did quite well at school and the HSC, and, but straight out of school, I auditioned for NIDA, National Institute of Dramatic Arts, because I really, really wanted to be an actress, but they knocked me back, and so I was bitter and twisted that I, I couldn't have my A dream. So then I just went and studied law because there was a show on telly at the time called LA Law, and they swanned around in little suits, and I thought, well, it's not acting, but it's kind of like acting. You do a performance, there's a judge, there's a jury, they listen, and, um, and I just thought that that was something that I would like, and I didn't actually like it so much the studying part of law but when I got through it at the end I liked the practicing of law and the reality of it never been a big one for formal education regardless of her dislike for studying law Grubisa went on to complete her degree taking a gap year in between her studies I actually had a gap year off in between um, law and uh, well, in, so you did three years it was arts law, so part of your law degree went to an arts degree, and I did subjects in that that I thought might be good, like archaeology. Um, but then I thought it would be like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it wasn't. It was just looking at old Greek pots and, and trying to date them and things like that. So I just really hated all of that. So uh, I liked, um, I still liked acting and drama and that sort of thing. So I took, I did an honours year in English literature, but it, you just had to do a thesis and you could do that remotely. So I, I travelled, I went to Europe and backpacked for a year between the arts degree and the law degree because then you, you went and did another two years in a different campus and that was pure law. So my, my law, uh, law degree actually took six years when it should have taken five. It was after graduating and completing her degree that she went straight into the workforce. I um, got a job as a solicitor. Um, I the LA law thing didn't pan out. I thought that I could get a litigation job, but none of the big firms that did litigation wanted to hire me. So I just ended up taking a job with a suburban solicitor, like in a back room at Chatswood, doing um, oh, soul-destroying work, debt collection on repossessed motor vehicles. So all I did day in, day out was just bankrupt people. Um, so at the end of two years, I just had to slap myself about the face and say, what are you doing, Warren? And I also wanted to pay back everyone who I thought had been mean to me by not letting me, you know, be the litigator I wanted to be. So I just thought, well, bugger you all, I'm just going to do it anyway. So I just went straight to the bar, which is probably a no-no in the system. You kind of have to 
um, do your time as a solicitor for at least 10, 15 years, get contacts, get experience and the journey to the bar should be something that you graduate to when you're older and you're you're financially sound because you don't make money in your first year and you need to have a whole network of contacts of people to give you the work so you should have a, a stable of solicitors that you've built up along the way um, with all your experience behind you but I just went and did it anyway with nothing. Could you, firstly, for listeners who don't know what BAR is, explain, is that an acronym for, for something in the legal industry? Yes. So, they, when you're a barrister, they call it the BAR. So, um, yeah, that it's well, the New South Wales Bar Association is um, the body that controls or that regulates barristers. She explains the interesting process she went through in order to become a barrister and how she was able to become successful through persistence. I did really well at that in a relatively short period of time. I was just, uh, I think I like better um, doing something I love and um, being able to be my own boss and do it alone. Um, I probably didn't work well as a square peg in a round hole in employment for those two years as a solicitor, but as a barrister, I could just start with a blank canvas and I was just very, very focused on being the best I could be. And because I had no work, um, because no one would brief me, I used to wear my robes every day because they actually cost $10,000. It was all that I had in the world um, to become a barrister. I, When I graduated law, the Law Society gave us a gold um, and a MasterCard and it had a $10,000 credit limit on it and it was um, MasterCard just said you'll be rich one day as a lawyer so here's some credit knock yourself out so I went and whacked all the robes and the gear on that card so the wig is horsehair and the robes are silk and I looked the part so I used to put on my drag every day and I'd go up to the Supreme Court and I'd just swan around the corridors and I had this theory that people would give me work if I looked the part because I thought that they'd just think, well, she's here every day, suited and booted, everyone else is briefing her, she must be gone. And it never happened. So with the time I had on my hands every day in the early years, I just sat at the back of the courtrooms and watched the really good guys at their craft, like the top senior counsel, and I just learned by osmosis. I just soaked it all up and just I was working 18-hour days. I'd work for free if they'd throw me a bone just to prove myself um, to be able to get the runs on the board. So just through sheer tenacity and blood, sweat and tears, I was able to claw my way to the top of my game at the bar. It was after a number of rules and laws that put Grubisa out of a specialised job as a barrister that she suddenly decided to pursue a new type of career instead. So I did that um, until the uh, um, late 90s, um, early 2000s. And what happened, the catalyst for me to change there was actually thrust upon me. Um, and they changed the area of law that I had developed into. They changed the rules and the laws in New South Wales so that it, it became a, a statutory regime. So basically what they said is we don't need barristers to fight these sort of cases. Let's just codify it all in a set of laws and that can be the written law. There'll be no litigation around this. Lawyers can just um, make reference to the statutes and that can be the end of it. So it meant that a whole um, 
lot of barristers were out of work and they all immediately went to other areas and tried to specialise because you're much better if you specialise. I always say focus stands for follow one course until successful. So I just focused and focused on one area of law so I could be the specialist and get to the top of my game there. Um, it's like a magnifying glass. If you hold it really still over one thing you want, the rays of the sun will converge and start a fire. Most people wander willy-nilly around looking for the next shiny thing and they they don't succeed. So um, what I what had happened was where all my focus had come to nothing and I could either go back and grow my expertise in another area of law um, or I could reinvent myself and I chose the latter. I just couldn't have the whole journey all over again in law. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Dominic Grubis' journey and how she got started in property. So I just went and bought a little studio apartment and um, I bought it as an investment and I just fluked it. How she grew her portfolio? I had a little epiphany about buying under market distressed properties and because of my knowledge of law and the legal system, I knew when people had to meet the market like that. And I know it's the holy grail of property and it's like looking for a needle in a haystack, but that's what I did. I applied my focus to just looking for those under market deals and that was my little formula and I did that. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharp and you're listening to Property Invest Story. Hey, podcast listeners. Are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, then register your interest at propertyinveststory.com. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and I only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, visit propertyinveststory.com. Now back to the show. It was at this point that Gribisa took a leap into the investing world, mistakenly purchasing an investment property. After that, I um, we uh, on the side, I'd been doing property uh, as well as law, just as a property investor. So once, when you focus, things happen. I started to make money. My accountant said, you need to negatively gear. So I just went and bought a little studio apartment and um, I bought it as an investment and I just fluked it. Um, I bought it, it was near where my chambers were as a barrister in the CBD of Sydney. And I bought this studio, first person in the door, first um the first open for inspection, I'm very fire-ready-aim type person and the agent had done that usual thing of getting a whole lot of people together and um, showing us all in one inspection and it was so small, it was like about, I don't know, 10 square metres or something ridiculous and we were all squashed in but all I saw was views. I could see like a little spot of blue right in the distance and I thought, oh my God, it's got water views, I have to have it. So I just got immediately emotional. So I ran over to the agent because I panicked, I thought every Everyone in there is going to make an offer. And so I said, how much? And he said, well, they're looking for about 160000 And I said, done. Here's a check, $16,000, 10% deposit. I'll sign an unconditional contract, get everyone out of my apartment. And um, he 
Um, so I then went to my conveyancing solicitor and when he looked at it, he said, right. Um, and I, I changed my mind, getting emotional. I just thought, I'm going to live here. This is my home now. I'm going to live in my little studio right near work. I'm moving out from mum and dad. And um, so when I, I'd been to like Ikea on the way to the solicitors and picked out my bookcase and my bed and everything, and then um, the solicitor said, "Have he said, right, so you're a barrister, are you? I said, yeah, that's right. He said, did you actually read this contract? before he signed it I said no and he said right well you're wanting to live here I don't think that'll happen if you read the contract it comes with a lease in it and there's a tenant in there and um, they're there for two years I said oh that's okay look it was really meant to be an investment and it's negatively geared and he said well there's your second problem you paid 160000 and um, it's rented out on a two-year lease for $285 a week so it was actually a bit positive and it was happy mistake to make on my first ever property deal and it just hooked me on property um and when so I went back to that agent and I just said um hi I don't know if you remember me I bought that one he said oh pet how could I forget you I've never ever had anyone first open first person in the door an offer within five minutes for the full asking price unconditional contract and you're a barrister like I thought you guys were smart and you know with property you can actually offer less and I was like well I would have paid more. And he said, no, good on you. You're Johnny on the spot. It was a divorce situation. It was price to sell and you, they had met the market to move it and you put your money where your mouth is and I love that. So from there, I had a little epiphany about buying under market distressed properties and because of my knowledge of law and the legal system, I knew when people had to meet the market like that and I know it's the holy grail of property and it's like looking for a needle in a haystack but that's what I did I applied my focus to just looking for those under market deals and that was my little formula and I did that um, on the side all through my 20s um, just doing property deals and um, when I reached um, just pushing 30 I moved to the next level and I bought a Mervac one off the plan and when um, I had to segue out of law um, I sold uh, on sold the Mervac property and did really really well like just made a million dollars from buying well off the plan um, and I did it with a deposit bond so that's when I thought that's Part of the reason I didn't go back to specialising in a different area of law, I thought, wow, I did that on the side without any focus. What if I really focused on property? So then I just turned to full-time property. Thinking back to her childhood, Grubissa shares that despite her parents' interest in property, her own interest wasn't sparked until her property journey began. I think, you know, they say when they're... um, student is ready, the teacher appears. Um, My parents were always big in property, but I was never interested. So every Christmas, my father would give me, you know, um, Think and Grow Rich or Robert Kiyosaki, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he'd write things, you know, little inscriptions in the start of the book. And I would just think, why are you wasting your money, man? I'm just not interested in any of this. And I, I remember they tried to get me in off the plans when I was earning money and they'd say you know come and look at this we know the agent you can buy a one better in here the market's going up and I was just like why would I spend three hundred thousand dollars that's so much money so I definitely 
wasn't interested from my parents' um, persuasion. I was almost worked the opposite way where I resisted. And it was just having that initial success on that divorce property. And I just, that was without my parents' help. It was almost in defiance of them. No, I'm not buying one of you stupid off the plans. I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to buy it in the city because they'd always said never buy in the CBD. And um, so then when that worked, um, I think I caught the bug myself. And then I just sought out other mentors and, and my own books to read. Um, so, yeah, probably not because of my parents. I'm probably... To spite my parents, I did it. While she's had many successful property investments, Grubiser has had her fair share of worst investing moments. I probably have made every mistake in the book and made it in a big way. Um, and I think it's because I'm a fire-ready aim person. But um, one thing that happened was um, I had a client who was doing well in property development. So he was buying out in Kellyville, which was sort of a greenfield area um, in Sydney at the time. So it was all farmlands and they were, uh, they'd were they rezoned it and people were subdividing. And I did the legal work for him um, on that site. And then I was interested in how he did it because I saw the profits he made. So I asked him to um, connect me with the agent who sold in the land and so I just said to the agent, if anything comes up like that again or you can get me in on anything like you did with this guy, can you let me know? And he was like, yeah. And then a few days later, he rang me and he said, look, I might have an opportunity for you. I'll get this guy to ring you. So this guy rang me and um, anyway, when we talked, it turned out he was selling like an off-the-plan at Ballina and I said, I'm, oh, no, sorry, there must be some confusion. I was wanting to develop and I was looking for land and he said, oh, well, you know, I'm a friend of Danny's and I just thought he said you were up for any opportunity. This is a big opportunity and I tried to push him away but he was like, oh, I've booked my flight to Sydney and I've hired a car so I'm going to come out and see you and I just said, no, I really don't want it. He said, no, 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 it's fine. Like at least you could do is give me a cup of tea. It's already settled now. Anyway, um, I just thought I'll give this guy a cup of tea and get rid of him. Anyway, long story short, I bought an off-the-plan dual-key apartment for $850,000 at Ballina. I don't know what I was thinking. I just fell for all of the um, – just the sales talk and the it was it had fallen through but the prices had gone up and it was worth a million and the developer didn't know if they put it back on for a million but because I was a friend of a friend, he'd try and get it for me at the old price of eight fifty, and then you can come up and see it and we'll babysit your kids and we'll take you out on a boat and you can eat prawns and I just felt so incredibly obliged <laughs> that I I signed on the dotted line so that was a big mistake. Ouch and what happened after that? Well the market fell in the interim it wasn't um, going to be what it had planned to be um, banks weren't lending on those holiday sort of rental scenarios and just fortunately for me and my legal background, I was able to find a loophole and a technicality and get out of it and get my deposit back. Yeah, I was lucky with my knowledge. However, Gribber says shares that while she has been extremely lucky throughout her property journey, there was another investing disaster that she had experienced. Well, I think because I had done so well and because I dodged bullets along the way, I got a false sense of security and I thought that I was invincible. And even my worst deals, I kept making some profit. And um, the the more 
um, successful I became, the more bulletproof I thought I was. And so we just, um, at a time when banks were just lending so easily and there were low-doc and no-doc loans and anyone with a pulse could get credit, banks were just throwing money at us. So we were just buying and buying and buying and buying. And I had entered the property game um, in an up market and I probably never, like in my adult life, I'd never seen a recession or bad times or anything like that. So I, I thought that property markets only ever went up and I thought property was a license to print money. I thought all you need to do is get the bank to convince you to get a loan and then you you grow a portfolio. And because banks would let us refinance, we'd renovate, we'd create extra equity and then we'd pull out that equity and we'd roll it into another deal. So we just spread ourselves so thin that we just weren't ready um, when the GFC hit. And and what happened to us was we had a development site and we had finance, we had everything ready to go. And then the bank pulled the loan from us and we were so dependent on lines of credits and banks and everything. And we had a a situation where a few things collided at once. Um, But at the end of the day, we just had no wriggle room at all. So when, uh, you know, expect the unexpected, they say when a couple of unexpected things happened together, it just caused a knock-on effect that just put us in a total tailspin and we lost everything. We're millions and millions of dollars in debt because, I mean, leverage is great in property when it magnifies your profits, but it can also have a backfire effect and, and magnify your losses. She reveals how after this experience that she had hit an all-time low. At the time when it hit, we were just reactionary. So it was just fight or flight, adrenaline. Um, We just had to take three kids out of private schools. We had to just do whatever had to be done, sell things really quickly. But rock bottom for me was a moment of realisation when the dust had settled was that we were literally homeless. And what had taken me 20 years of blood, sweat and tears to build up slowly, I'd just lost in the blinking of an eye. And we were living with my parents-in-law. And I mean, we were very lucky that they would have us in, but it was also, um, we have, we're in a fold-out lounge um, in the, the um, living room and, you know, watching Seven Brides for Seven Brothers on a Saturday night with my father-in-law. It was just very, very dark days. And I just beat myself up. I felt like such a failure and I felt so incredibly guilty that I'd failed and and dis- I felt disgraced. Um, so that was that was the lowest point. She explains that it was this tenacity that she was able to overcome the challenges she had faced and get back on track to a property investing journey. There's just only so long you can sit around in your mother-in-law's lounge room in your pyjamas crying all day. I just, um, I, I think I adopted a, a glass half full approach and that paradigm shift made me realise that, um, okay, what it is what it is. I've lost everything, but what can I do now? So I was solution focused rather than problem orientated. And I I couldn't go back to law. I couldn't go back to property. It was the GFC by then. So no one was lending, no one was buying. I still had faith in property um, because uh, it had done so well for me. So I, I identified the problem as my reckless behaviour and my disregard for markets and my lack of knowledge in that sense. 
But what I did have in my favour was my legal knowledge and my knowledge of debt because I was actually dealing with my own debt at the coalface and I was um, trading my way through it, just treading water, dealing with creditors. And so I, I put my focus on debt law, which is an area of law that few specialists with my level of knowledge ever look at just because there's no money in helping people in debt. So no one ever focuses on that area of law. And But for me, it was self-interest, obviously. And then I was looking for a way to make money without having to go back to law and without being able to do property anymore. So I... Um, started looking at internet marketing, um, just probably out of desperation, if I'm honest. And um, what was, um, I started going to seminars for that. And what I was focused on was, okay, there's a new way of communication. There's a new way of sharing knowledge, like the old way of, you know, paying for solicitors at an hourly rate with billable hours and everything. That's a way of the past. And the internet is about sharing knowledge. And so I then um, thought, well, I'm going to share my knowledge on debt law because there's a GFC going on. There's a whole lot of people in debt. So I just focused on adding value that way in a, a new paradigm. So I wrote books for people about levelling the paying field um, and, yeah, from there I then um, had this vision that ultimately was realised of building the DG Institute. And how after following this process that the foundation of the Dominic Grubiesel Institute was laid. I started helping people in debt um, at at first, just for nothing, just because I could and I had the knowledge. Um, I didn't, um, uh, they were in debt themselves, so they couldn't really pay for it. But I then saw opportunities just by working and, and being there, I saw opportunities of how banks were repossessing properties, how the whole industry worked. And I realised that the system um, was ineffective, like that they'd never had sort of the repossessions and the the market that they had um, after the global financial crisis. And I got to be up close and personal with that. So I um, realised that there were other ways of transacting property apart from just going to an agent and buying at auction because um, I saw the the um, aftermath of the property market um, with the global financial crisis and I also um, put my legal knowledge into play then in property in a different way because I didn't have the money to actually go to the bank and get it. Well, I had bad credit after things went wrong for me. So, I, I did, my credit score meant I couldn't get a loan. So, I started to channel my knowledge into things like property development where I could get properties on using options um, without needing bank finance and I could add value through my knowledge of zoning and getting development approvals and that sort of thing and that helped me build wealth back faster looking at distressed properties and property development and transacting properties without needing bank finance um, and I was able to what took me 20 years to build up and then lose, I needed to be able to make back a lot quicker but without the money, um, to without having to have loans to do it and without having the luxury of another 20 years to do it slowly brick by brick. With so much success and resilience this far into her journey, Grubisir delves into the pivotal aha moment that allowed her to realise how property could change her life I've had a lot of aha moments and I'm still having them. I'm refining and learning and, and as I grow. But um, a, a real tipping point for me was um, when I went from law um, into property full time. So I, I reached a 
glass ceiling in law, not from being a woman, but just I couldn't work any harder and I couldn't do any more to increase my earning capacity because as lawyers, as barristers, you're self-employed and the law is that you, you can't have a company, you can't have employees, you're just a gun for hire. So you're selling yourself, your skill as a litigator. It's a bit like a, a specialist. Um, so just as there's GPs and specialists in medicine and if the GP can help you, then he will, but if it's serious, he'll refer you on to a specialist. That's what solicitors are to barristers. So I was a specialist, but you can't, the heart surgeon can't say, oh, here's the work experience boy because I want to go out and you know look at properties today it's it's your skill and that was the same with me so I'd I'd shackled myself to that one finite resource that everyone shares and that's time so I I had the same 24 hours in the day as everyone else I was working about 18 of them because I really was working so hard and you can like no matter how good I got I could keep raising my hourly rate and I could raise my daily brief fee of how much people would pay to engage me but it would always be finite because I was selling my time and then I realized that I'd made seven figures in an off the plan property that wasn't my money wasn't my time wasn't bound to anything Um, and that's when I realized that the possibility of exponential and unlimited potential in property um, as opposed to working. So, inspired by Dominic Gribis' journey in an amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss her strategy. We realize that, okay, the answer is the, the bigger rewards are in property development if we can just manage the risk around it. The personal habits which have been contributing to her success. Swimming for me is like meditation. So, every stroke, I'm just counting and my brain can just make plans, I can organize my day and then I'm in charge of the day from there. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to register your interest. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499881040. Thanks for listening.